a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. This edition of Religion Today is about prayer. Welcome, welcome. I'm Martin Tanner, your host. Thanks for joining me. This program is in its 33rd year. You can hear it each Sunday broadcast on KSL Radio at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. You can also find it on KSL Podcasts if you would like to hear one of the past programs for the last several years. You can also find past shows in podcast form on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and numbers of other great podcast locations. So, on to our topic, prayer. We are told to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. We learn about his model for prayer in the Synoptic Gospels. But why should we pray? Today, my message is to explain how to overcome some doubts, to explain also why we should pray, explain what things should be the focus of our prayers and what things should not be the focus of our prayers. And also, I want to discuss the ultimate goal of prayer. One big doubt that's often expressed about prayers is that, why should I pray? God doesn't hear our prayers. There are just too many people. There are over 8 billion people in the world today. Actually, as of September 2023, there are 8.1 billion people in the world. And each day, on average, over 350,000 people are born in the world, and over 160,000 people die. So, as the skeptic says, if even a quarter of those 8 billion people are praying every day, that's over 2 billion prayers— and 350,000 births and 160,000 deaths, and how can God keep track of all of that? We learn in Moses chapter 1, verse 27, this idea, quote, and it came to pass, as the voice was speaking, Moses cast his eyes and beheld the earth, yea, even all of it. And there was not a particle of it, which he did not behold, discerning it by the Spirit of God. Close quote. We read a similar idea in Moses chapter 1, verses 33, 34, and 35. Quote, worlds without number have I created. There are many worlds that now stand and innumerable 
are they unto man, but all things are numbered unto me, for they are mine, and I know them. Close quote. So how could a person, a man, Moses, discern every particle of the earth, which would be trillions and trillions, not just billions, which is what the prayer skeptics say, but trillions of particles. How could that happen? And how could God himself keep track of worlds without number, innumerable unto man, but worlds that he knows and are numbered unto him? How is that possible? Well, Professor Hugh Nibley made this wonderful comment that I remember very vividly because it struck as being true to me. We can't remember our earth life. God does. And we can only think of one thing at a time. God doesn't have that limitation. Why do we have those limitations now, but God does not? The short answer is that if we could remember our pre-earth life, we could not walk by faith here. And if we could think about a whole bunch of things at once, an unlimited number, we could think about horrible things and good things and in-between things. And it would thwart the reason that we're here, which is to choose good over evil. So we have this limitation placed upon us. We cannot remember the pre-earth life because it would damage our ability to think and make choices on our own with the aid of prayer. And we can only think of one thing at a time, so we have to choose what we are going to think about. That may be good. That may be bad. That may be wasteful. It may be amazing. There are all kinds of possibilities, but we Each must choose. Keep in mind that in Doctrine and Covenants section 58, verses 26 through 29, we read this. Quote, it's not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things is a slothful and not a wise servant. So we're not supposed to pray for everything, we're supposed to do all kinds of things of our own free will and choice. That means that we're not supposed to pray for mundane things or just because we're lazy. We're supposed to pray for things when we can't get it done ourselves, and when we've done our own studying and prayer and reading and trying to understand. In other words, we've done our own due diligence and we need some help. That's kind of the position that Joseph Smith was in when he had his first vision, which was the result of a prayer. He didn't just say, huh, I'd like to know a little bit about whether or not my sins are forgiven and about what church to join. I know, I'll just run out and pray. He thought about it for months and weeks, and he studied the Bible, and he looked here, and he looked there, and he was inspired by a verse in the book of James. But he had done his homework and made effort first. And yet, here's something to keep in mind. If it's important to you, it's important to our Heavenly Father. We are never told, don't pray about something, because 
it's not important to our Heavenly Father and He would already know about it. Pray about things that are important to you because God loves you and things that are important to you are important to God as well. Another criticism that happens often about the idea of prayers that God doesn't answer prayers. He just doesn't do it. Well, there are a number of fascinating studies, double-blind studies, that show that prayer actually works. A wonderful medical doctor named Bernie Siegel wrote a book called God, Medicine, and Miracles. I spoke to him on the radio many, many years ago. I should try to get him back on. But part of his book about love, medicine, and miracles is that there was a study that was done at San Francisco General Hospital. And there have been other studies as well that are double blind, where certain people, often denominations, different church groups, are asked to pray for people who are going to have heart surgery or some other kind of surgery. And what happens is that randomly some people have prayers for them and some don't. And the percentage of those who recover more quickly and more completely is a real thing and not just within a margin of error for those for whom prayers actually happen. Prayers work and there are studies that prove it. One of the other questions is that God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, maybe he answers other people's, but not mine. When we come back from our break, I'm going to point out why maybe God would not answer prayers. We have this idea that he answers every single prayer. I'm not sure that's true, and I'll tell you why when we come back. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. When we took our break, I threw out the question, why doesn't God seem to answer some prayers? And I gave the opinion that maybe he he doesn't, but maybe there's a real reason why. Incidentally, if you have a question or comment about this program or any other program, or if you just have a general religious question, feel free to send me an email Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com, martinstanner at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to respond. Some prayers seem to be answered. Some don't. 
don't pray to take away someone else's free will. If free will is one of the greatest goods, we can't pray to take it away. God's not likely to do that. You might pray for God to influence someone. You might pray for God to help someone weigh information and come to the right conclusion, but don't pray asking God to make someone do this or that or the other. That looks like asking God to take away somebody's free will. That's also the case, although perhaps not intended when prayers are made, that God will help someone do this. That's, that's a little too broad. We should perhaps try to be more specific and ask for specific blessings or ways that someone might be guided to do what's right that don't take away free will. Pray for insights about how to teach someone or influence the person yourself to do the right thing or for someone else to provide insights or information for someone to help them get over an addiction or learn a truth that they doubt or do something else. These are the ways that prayer is described to us by Jesus. He talks about specific prayers in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk for a minute about the ultimate goal of prayer. I'm going to do this by stating that ultimately the celestial kingdom will have people in it who have become like God and like Jesus. This is something that a dear friend of mine, George Ritchie, saw in his near-death experience many, many years ago. And you can read this in his book, uh, Return from Tomorrow, which is still popular and can be found in Deseret Book and many other bookstores. Here's what George Ritchie says. And this was when he was a fairly young man. He hadn't yet read the book of Revelation. This is what he says, quote, I saw infinitely far off, too distant to be visible with any kind of sight I knew, a city, a glowing, seemingly endless city, bright enough to be seen over all the unimaginable distance between it and me. The brightness seemed to shine from the very walls and streets of this place and from beings which I could now discern moving about within it. In fact, the city and everything in it seemed to be made of light, even as Jesus at my side appeared to be made of light. I looked in awe at the bright buildings and radiant beings in this celestial city. These radiant beings were those who had kept Jesus the focus of their lives. I'm going to say that again. The beings in that city were those who had kept the focus of Jesus their lives. I was seeing at last those who would look for Jesus in everything they did. They had looked so well, so closely, that they had over time changed into the very likeness of Jesus. I could feel the love, almost overpowering love, that was flowing from the celestial people in that city. 
I could feel the complete joy they felt at seeing Christ. I knew here was the place of all places, the celestial realm. The beings who inhabited it were full of love. This was the highest heaven. The words of 1 Corinthians 13 came to mind. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can remove mountains, but if I have not love, I am nothing. Close quote. So what's George Ritchie saying here? The people who inhabit the celestial kingdom are those who have looked to Jesus in their lives and have become like him. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 gives us an insight into how to become like Jesus. Quote, I am standing and knocking at your door. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll eat together. Close quote. That's the contemporary English version. Jesus is waiting and knocking at your door. You don't have to go knock for him to show up. He's knocking now. And if you just listen for him, pray to the Father and ask for his help, you will have it. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, we have the Lord's Prayer, and it is quite specific. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Please help your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us food to eat this day and forgive us of our sins as we forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us. And please don't let us be led into temptation and help us to avoid evil. Close quote. That's the gist of the Lord's Prayer, and it's very specific by Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, has more insights into prayer. It says, you can pray about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I would add there, after you've done your own homework. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, we read this. Quote, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us, close quote. Notice that you must ask for something that's according to God's will. And here's an interesting one that I think is often misunderstood. In Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 25, we have this prayer about moving mountains. Quote, have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and don't have any doubt in your heart, but believe that it will happen and it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you're standing there praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Close quote. All right, so Jesus is using a superlative here. I don't know of anyone who's prayed to actually move a mountain. We do we do have an example of that where the mountains Aaron in the Book of Mormon was moved. But the point is that a superlative is used here by Jesus, not because we all need to move a mountain, but because anything even that extreme, anything that amazing 
can actually be done if it is something that is necessary. You also have this phrase in there that don't doubt. That was the key to Joseph Smith's prayer. One of the things that I'd like to close with is that there is great power in prayer. There is great prayer in healing the sick, as is mentioned in James 5, verses 13 through 18. There is great prayer in everyone who comes before God. Why? Because you will align your interests with God and become more like him. As we pray, the Holy Spirit will help guide us in the right way to do that. So we have prayer that is assisted by the Holy Spirit and answers that are given to us by God. What an amazing thing. Join us next week. I'm Martin Tanner. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.